I'm Jonathan Mosen. This is Mosen at Large, the show that's got the blind community talking. And on this special, Apple's WWDC keynote for 2022 has revealed major operating system updates and more. Our expert panel provides analysis of the WWDC keynote from a blindness perspective. Mosen at Large Podcast. Our panel today... Ah, Heidi Taylor right here in the studio with me. Welcome to you, Heidi. Hello. And we've got across town, Anthony Horvath. Welcome to you, Anthony, in Wellington, New Zealand. Hello. And some distance away, by comparison, is Mike Fair, who's the author, of course, of the iOS Personal Power. Now onto its second edition, and he's in sunny Canada. Welcome to you, Mike. Hello. Yeah, tremendous. Welcome to be here. One hour and 45 minutes of presentation with very little fluff. In fact, it felt like the pace was pretty rapid for most of that time. Before we go into the nitty-gritty, and we will go through the keynote and the order in which things were announced, (laughs) can I just go around the virtual table and find out what people thought of it all, you know, the overall gut reaction without getting too deep into the weeds, just this overall kind of feeling about the keynote now that it's just over as we record this. Heidi, what's your overall impression of it? It was a good one this year. Lots of good stuff. Yep, substance. Substance. Not just not just kind of looking looking at the way it all feels and looks and things, but actual new features. Yeah. All right. What about you, Mike? Well, yeah, I would agree. There's, there's certainly substance there. Uh, but I'm, I'm a bit less enamored. Like all of this stuff is visual, at least a lot of it. Like it, it really seemed to focus on appearance. And I'm kind of wondering, you know, other than the multitasking stuff, like there's, I didn't see that a ton that's really going to change our experience as blind people. Interesting. All right. We'll come back to that as we work through the features. And what's your overall impression, Anthony? Lots of brain food, lots to digest. Mm, and, they've been um, drinking their green drink at Apple this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it inspired me to have a green drink as well as a coffee <laughs> while it was all on. One so, thing that impressed me about it was that even the audio described version of the stream was in Dolby Atmos this time. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's pretty impressive. Tim Cook began the keynote by talking about the Developer Academy, which provides assistance to underrepresented people to become developers. And he didn't mention it. I don't know whether there was anything in the pics, Heidi, but I do hope disabled people are a part of that program. I would like to see a lot more disabled people developing, blind people in charge of voiceover. That would be a tremendous thing. There oh, were yeah. no yes. disabled people featured in the pictures. Mm. Well, let's hope that that's something that Apple is either doing now or will think about. Let's look at iOS 16 then and start with the lock screen. For those who didn't hear the keynote, there is an all new lock screen with iOS 16. This is what happens when you push the button or you tap the screen, whatever you do to power on your phone. And this is the first experience you get before you go to your home screen, a lot of personalization features uh, in there. Um, I guess this comes back to what you were saying, Mike, that initially when they started on this, there was a lot of focus on the look and feel, the way that the lock screen is going to visually look. Yeah, you know, and, and it it sounds like it does incorporate information. It's not just fancy pictures. So it's pulling in stuff, Uh you know, presumably more constantly to keep the, all this information up to date on various widgets. So I'm kind of wondering about whether that's going to increase the data consumption any of, of these things. 
Well, I think it's more about where they live because right now you can swipe to the right when you unlock your phone and get that whole page of widgets. And so what they're allowing you to do now is to promote the widgets to the lock screen, which I think is really good. I mean, the first thing that I would do, we have a local app here for our Met service in New Zealand, and I would definitely put that little Met service widget. Anthony, I don't know whether you use this or Heidi, but I would put that on my lock screen right there so I have the temperature and the current weather conditions based on my location in That's New Zealand. That's exactly what I was thinking of doing as Wow. I'm yeah. going to have to burst your bubble. Yep. <laughs> and it's not like that. It's not the same as the widgets that are in the like to whatever that little view you can swipe over to is. They're different. It's much more like complications on an Apple Watch. It's like micro widgets. But even then, you would be able to have an app like Met Service that put the temperature and the current weather conditions there in a little widget. I assume so. Do they have an Apple Watch complication? Uh, they don't, they no, don't. but you would think that they would come out with an iOS 16-friendly widget. So you're saying that but, – but but hang on, though, Heidi, because in that main widget screen that we're talking about when you flip to the right, or if you add a widget to your home screen right now, you can choose three different sizes of widget. No, it's not like that at all. All right, then. <laughs> so, all right. What's it like? <laughs> So what you're talking about with the widgets is essentially like squares or rectangles that take over the space of the app icons, right? So the small widget is four icons in a square, so a two by two, and then they get bigger as you go on. These are like the size of a single icon. Are you sure you're talking about widgets and you're not talking about this other feature that they talked about? where you can get sports score. These are, these are called live activities, and they make it easy to keep up with what's happening in real time, sports scores, that sort of thing. But live activities look like widgets. Widgets look like complications. All right, then. It's going to break our oh, brows. Wow. Where's my green drink? <laughs> you already had it. Yeah. <laughs> it hasn't worked. <laughs> but no matter what they look like, I think the key point is that you will be able to get some information from apps right on your lock screen beyond yep. your traditional notifications that will be pushed. Yeah, yeah, that's yep. right. Yep. And that that could actually be helpful. Like you could just memorize, you know, as long as you're comfortable memorizing where these things appear on the screen rather than flicking between everything, that could really be useful. Like you could just tap on a, on a given spot and expect and get, say, weather or a, a next events, if presumably reminders, they'll have something that ties into this. And we are recording this at the immediate conclusion of the keynote. So nobody has installed iOS 16 uh, developer beta yet when we record this, but it sounds like what you'll be able to do is go into an edit mode on the lock screen. So I imagine that you'll either double tap and hold, or there'll be a way to use the actions rotor to get into the editor and you'll be able to customize this lock screen in various ways. Yeah. And again, that's mm -hmm. very reminiscent of customizing an Apple watch face on the Apple watch. Okay. So it's, it's a similar looking interface. And I'm quite relieved, really, that it sounds like the changes to notifications are fairly minimal this year. They are just focusing on this live activities thing on the lock screen. And, and I guess that makes sense there. For example, I have a couple of apps that give me cricket updates. And while I do sometimes want to scroll through the history to see exactly how wickets were lost and that sort of thing. Um, what I really want right now is just to open my lock screen and find out, say, how the New Zealand cricket team is doing. Now, I might 
be confused. Was that part of the the whole sport and and news thing combined? Because the, they talked about that and they mentioned the news app and sort of all in all in that sort of one little segment. Yes, there's a separate thing. So sports is obviously there are some features there where you can subscribe to your favorite news teams, uh, sports teams rather, in the news app. Mm. And that, of course, is not available everywhere. It's not available available in in New New Zealand, Zealand, for for example. example. But live activities are available anywhere and they can be used for a range of things. Another example they gave of live activities is the Uber app, for example, where your status on the trip will change and it might be for example that uber produces a live activity that you add to your lock screen and that will tell you just by looking at the lock screen on your phone say what what the current estimate is about when you'll get to your destination for instance yes so for the the example they pictured um how cool (laughs) (laughs) the the little uber thing and it says one minute until pickup it gives you the car was a silver honda civic it gave you the number plate and a little progress indicator as to like approximately how far along the journey you're gonna be okay that's really good now here's my next question for this uh very learned panel how many people are into the focus system that was introduced to ios 15 last year Yes. Me. <laughs> no. Okay. Absolutely. Well, that's good. So I was really pleased to hear at the keynote that the lock screens are going to be potentially linked to focuses or foci if you want them to be. So you can match your lock screen um, to the focus. You can set up, a say, a work focus and a home focus and various other focuses, foci, and um, set the lock screen based on the focus that's on. And so that means, for example, that you could have a completely different lock screen when you're at work from when you're at home. And because those focus changes can happen based on location, it can all just go on behind the scenes and your lock screen will magically change based on where you are. Yeah, and, and presumably with the time as well, it, it can set those can be triggered or to turn it on and off. So you can just have your whole phone because that that also happens with what you you can limit what home screens are available. You can limit all kinds of different things depending on what focus. So that that really integrates nicely with the rest of what you can do with focuses. So I quite like that. Yeah, I have a quick question about focus, which I guess isn't totally relevant here but is focus like a whitelist system or a blacklist system because i haven't actually used it it is predominantly a whitelist system i think Mm. it's fair to say so you 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 uh well i think it can be both that's a very fair question i think it can be both yeah, because you can you can do either you can add in or subtract things from a focus, but it's it's mostly about blocking distractions, right? So it's mostly what you don't want to to have access to or to see at a given time. So if I was in my work focus, I could be like, I don't get work emails, but I get everything else. And if I'm in my work focus, I only get work emails, and all other emails are blocked. Can you do that? Yes, you can. Yes, you oh, can. Fancy. Yes. Maybe I should start using it. Oh, yeah. The focus system is pretty powerful. And you can do things like select all apps or select no apps and then just go through manually, select the ones you want, Mm. various things. It's really good. And you can also set it up on an app-by-app basis. So what I do, for example, is when I go into the Kindle or the uh, Voice Dream app or the uh, Apple Books app, I have a very minimum number of notifications that get through. I get phone calls through and iMessage and maybe one or two 
uh, apps. But other than that, all my notifications are silent while I'm in there. And you could do that if you're watching a movie or anything like that. Yeah, I had that set up for, for if I'm on Netflix or Disney+. Plus. Yeah. What's also cool about Focus this year in iOS 16 is that they are now taking filters right into the apps. So, for example, if you had a work focus and you wanted to make sure that you couldn't go to facebook.com or twitter.com or something in Safari, then you can do that now. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, and it can also like hide mail within the mail app. So even though you're only notified currently by, say, work, when you open it, you can't even see emails from outside of work. Yep, super cool. The Messages app is getting some change as well. You can edit any message that you just sent, and you can also undo the sending of a message immediately, which is nice. <laughs> um, you can also mark a thread as unread, so you can come back to it later. And, and as far as somebody is concerned who's looking to see whether the message was read or not, you haven't read it yet. Was there any indication in the visuals, Heidi, about how long you have before you can withdraw a message or uh, stop editing a message? Um, it didn't give sort of a time frame. Right, because I'm curious about whether there's some sort of limit about that. Yeah. And of course, what about voiceover? If if you do, if you send something and then go, oh crap, and want to change it, it might have already read out loud to the person who has gotten the notification of the message. Yes. Yeah. Well, I guess that's true with anybody, isn't it? Because they could look at the yeah, banner. They could just be looking at Yeah, it's pretty quick. I wonder if they see like the message if, disappear. If in the middle of reading the, it, and then they see it change. So it's, yeah. you know. See the frantic efforts to undo the damage? I mean, yeah. without all <laughs> going. Yeah. So all maybe right. it's dependent <laughs> on the red indicator that if the thing comes up as red, then you can't edit or delete it. it. Yeah, so we'll have well, to if, see how that works. We'll, we'll have to yeah. test that. <laughs> What about shared with you? Does anybody use shared with you? No, I've never used I, that yet. I've used it uh, a handful of times, but yeah, n not as much as I thought I would. Thought Is that because no one shares with you? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> what it's about very you? Very sad, like? isn't it? Very, very sad. <laughs> <laughs> I use the feature that comes up in Safari that shows me all the links people have sent me. Yeah. yeah but that's, that's sort of the extent of how I use it. I mean, I forgot about Shared With You until a couple of weeks ago, and it came up for me for some reason, and I thought, yeah, this is actually quite good. I'd forgotten this existed. So they're now building on this Shared With You thing. They're, they're doubling down. So um, there's a new API for developers, and that means that other apps will also be able to leverage the Shared With You feature. So the Shared With You list of links and items and things is likely to become bigger as other apps leverage this. What about SharePlay? In this podcast a year ago, we were pretty excited about SharePlay, but I think those of us who were on the panel at the time observed that maybe it had come a little bit too late, that if Apple had managed to get SharePlay to us right at the height of the pandemic when a lot of people were locked down, it would have been a bigger hit than it was. How's SharePlay gone for everybody uh, once it was introduced to iOS? I just haven't had any occasions to really use it. I mean, if Sarah and I want to listen to something, we'll do it on one device and we'll just use HomePod minis or something or, sh you know, share between AirPods, which we could, we could do anyway. So I haven't really found a ton of, of use for it yet. I've used it a couple of times. Um, but again, yeah, it, 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 
it's um it's not something that that I've used regularly, but when I have, um, and it's usually uh, when I've been talking to a couple of friends in in Auckland, um, yeah, it it, it is quite useful. But it's, uh, we yeah. we did a fun demo of it, Heidi. That is the only time I've ever used it. <laughs> <laughs> we we found this for those who didn't hear that in Mosin at large. We found this piano app, and we were able to play the piano together via SharePlay. And Heidi was at her house, and I was here in the studio, and we were able to play a duet on the piano. Um, but <laughs> we don't we don't use it. I mean, like you, Mike, when Bonnie and I want to listen to something, we just listen to something on the on the sonos or something so um but uh, i did note and it tugged at my heartstrings i did note they made a reference to bedtime stories and so i thought to myself well when my grandchild soon to be arriving coming soon coming soon um <laughs> it, when my grandchild gets old enough to have a device you know that'd be quite cool to, to oh, do yeah. bedtime stories together you're going to give really them cool. their well, own iphone when they're born We'll have to see what his parents uh, or her parents have to say about that. Well, and um, also, kind of, it brings to mind all these scenarios where you really have people absent who don't want to be. Like I, I really have been able to keep track and in touch with most people uh, that I would want to share, say, a movie with. Right? I don't really do that with you know close friends as, as much or anything like that. So it would take circumstances where you really have that need for com- a connection, like. I don't know, an uh, absent father away on a business trip wanting to read a bedtime story to to kids, things like that, I, I imagine it'd be very useful for. So perhaps that's what, that's what Apple is banking on, that there was a bit of a lull. Maybe they did miss the big lockdown boom. And then there's been a bit of a lull where people have started going back to offices, but there hasn't been as much travel as there might have been in the past. Now people are starting to travel again in larger numbers. So it's a very good point you make, Mike, because perhaps what's going to happen is that as people do start to travel and find themselves in hotel rooms a bit more often, they can connect and watch a movie with their significant other at home or something like that. Yeah. All right. You can find SharePlay compatible apps from within FaceTime calls now. So they're obviously trying to make it easier for you to discover uh, how this works and what apps you can use it with. Uh, Also, SharePlay now works with messages and not just FaceTime. Now, one thing that will be of real interest to many of our listeners is the updates that Apple are bringing to iOS 16 and presumably iPad OS, although they didn't expressly say, to the dictation experience, because we have a lot of people who use dictation, sometimes with great mirth resulting, <laughs> I have yeah. to say. And I, I noticed they didn't necessarily say that the dictation is going to be any more accurate uh, no. than it was. What What's this look like, Heidi? Because um, this feature is used, they said, 18 billion times every month. What is it? What does it look like now that's that's different visually? Okay. So what it is currently before this release was when you enabled dictation from, say, the keyboard, the keyboard would disappear and you couldn't interact with it at all. So what they've changed is that the keyboard is still visible, so you can type and dictate at the same time if you want to. So say you're dictating something and you know you need to put in a word that never is right, say it's someone's name maybe. You can type it in and then continue dictating like without having to stop the flow is essentially what they're trying to do. What I'm interested in is 
will they have the ability to give commands similar to what they already actually do have in voice control, where you can say, select whatever the words are and and correct it or, or, or type, or whether this is mostly just making that keyboard visible, whether that's really all it amounts to. Oh. Kind of sounds like the later. Like, I didn't get this. They didn't talk about any kind of advanced control. Well, they really. did talk about automatic punctuation insertion, though. So they are obviously going under the hood to change dictation to some degree, because now apparently you you don't comma need to uh, comma. Well, what's really <laughs> <Yeah>. hilarious, <laughs> you, you've Ooh, you've done this, Anthony. I have. Um, you've sent me you've sent me messages via voice where you say the punctuation marks because you and forgot I even, that you I were. I didn't re- even realize I was doing it. <laughs> you forgot you were recording a voice message. I did, man. Seriously. <laughs> so now, if this is working correctly, then you won't need to dictate your punctuation. So that's a, that, that's an option. That's an option. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, so that's using artificial intelligence to basically learn your pauses, learn how you speak, presumably, hopefully, and and insert them in the right places. That will be neat to sort of see how it improves over time as you use it more. I guess, but I think it's a feature I'm hoping I can turn off because certainly with Dragon, I've used this and you stop to think, you know. You, yeah. When you're dictating, you don't necessarily speak fluently. You stop to think about exactly what word you want, and Dragon will interpret that as a full stop or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they also talked about improvements to Siri shortcuts, so that's going to be good to see, although it wasn't clear to me what that will mean in terms of users. Did you see any visuals about the Siri shortcuts? Changes, Heidi? No, they just sort of brushed past it and there wasn't really much detail. Okay. Live texts was next. And uh, live texts were introduced, I'm pretty sure it was last year. And this is a very powerful feature, I think, for blind people because it will extract the text that is all around you, really, in photos and images. Uh, you think you can put your, your camera at something and it will extract the live text. And now it works with video as well. So that could be very handy. So you could stop a video mid, mid movie and get the print, the text printed off, off the screen, even, even if you didn't have voiceover presumably like it would you could still capture that and yes i I guess you'd need voiceover for it to speak out loud uh but wow let's say you could get at all those little silent printed bits in movies i'm thinking like hunt for it october Uh, i'm not sure if all of that is subtitles There's, there's probably printing in these in the in video frames that we don't get read out loud or you could be watching the latest infomercial for this exercise gadget you're Call interested in, the number in, on your screen. And the infomercial yeah. says, yeah, exactly. Phone the number on your screen now. <laughs> yeah. and you'll be able to know what the number is. Yeah. Wait, people still watch infomercials? Yep. Ugh. Yep. Yep. What's not to like? For only $9.99. Yeah. Have, have you, Mike, and um, Anthony, have you used live text very much? Is, has it proven to live up to all the hype? Not well for me. I just use the regular apps. Like I already have Seeing AI. I have you know, yeah. Voice Dream Scanner. It's it's. I haven't really had any occasion where where I've thought you know I really need another tool that I don't have, and maybe live text is it. Like I can't think of a situation where I would rather use 
live text than these specialty apps. Yeah. Now, com- coming at it from from a beginner point of view, though, I like it because, you know, if I – God, if I, I shudder to think I'll have to do another version of this guide anytime soon. But if I do, you know, that <laughs> that addition could be very helpful to beginners who haven't yet gotten to the App Store. They could still kind of take advantage of some of these things and kind of get, you know, read print on boxes maybe, identify things. There's a lot you can do with that. What are your thoughts, Anthony? Yeah, I I played around with it when when it first came out, but um, I think uh, Mike's really hit on a good point because I already have apps in my system, you know, the voice uh, scanner and seeing AI. I, I just use those. Um, but if you don't have any of those apps yet, I think it'd be very useful. But um, having said that, I'd be interested to see what changes uh, when we start testing. We're obviously really interested in hearing what listeners think of all that was announced. And if you are using live text in favor of, uh, or rather as opposed to other apps, then it would be good to hear the use case for that. I agree with you. I tend to still have uh, Seeing AI right there on page one of my home screen. I was uh, battling my television the other day over an annoying little thing, and I (laughs) got (laughs) Seeing AI out. I just ran that. I pointed at the screen and was able to read what was on the screen. It, To be honest, it just doesn't occur to me to use live text, but perhaps that's because these apps were around before live text was. For newer iPhone users, perhaps it will be the reverse, that if people become used to using the live text feature, if it's reliable enough, then they won't feel the compulsion to install a third-party app. Which makes you wonder, you know, if if this continues, whether third-party apps like that have a future in some respect. Yeah. Well, so there is a live text API, I think. Uh, so it will be interesting to see whether any of the apps feel any need to integrate uh, with it. Should we talk about Wallet? It can present you your ID now securely to apps that require verification of identity. I guess that could be health or, say, a gambling app that needs to know you're over a certain age or maybe purchasing mineral water or whatever it might be. Uh, You can also share your keys with people via messages. If if you're deeply embedded in that smart home ecosystem, share your key, just message them a key. And, you know, that's great. Message the key to the cleaner. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's neat. I like um, I like the thought of the the sharing only the parts of your identity that are necessary to what is required. I like that idea mm. in the sense that it really it's another makes sense with their push for privacy, right? That's what they're really banking on that now fully in on this whole idea of user privacy. So I can see why they've done that. It'll be interesting to see how apps how quickly apps really take advantage of that. Yeah, the privacy thing is just so integral to Apple's brand these days. So yeah. that that's very consistent. It is good to see, though, that Apple is supporting open standards for cross-platform support because it's it, it does get frustrating. Um, these days, WhatsApp has so much cut through, for example, just going back to messages, because whether you use iMessage or Android, anybody can install WhatsApp. But with uh, iPhone, you know, you've either got 
the, the rich experience of iMessage or the very dated experience of SMS because Apple is not supporting the newer standard that Google is trying to push and that carriers are trying to embrace. So with messages, you've either got something very brilliant or something kind of 1990s-like. <laughs> so, you know, that's why WhatsApp is doing so well. I, I really don't know why iMessage hasn't come to Android yet. It just seems like such a smart thing for Apple to do, but they continue to resist that. So tap to pay on iPhone. This will be good for small business owners. And at the moment, I believe it's only available in the US. But I immediately thought, for example, of the vendor program, the Randolph Shepard program in the US, and thought, yeah, tap to pay could be a really good experience for a number of blind small business owners. Yeah, it removes the need to, to buy any kind of specialized point of sale or terminal. You can just take out your iPhone and and yeah, any customer that has iPhones. And I don't know if they'll extend this to other things. It, it kind of sounded to me like they they were they were kind of making this possibly cross platform. I wasn't quite. They, they've done that with a lot of different things in this release. Matter being the big one, I guess. Yes, we'll come back to matter because it does matter. But yeah, the, I, I had to get that in there somewhere. But I, uh-huh. uh, I, what, what I'm not clear about, and maybe the visuals again, Heidi told us this. My impression was that tap to pay would work with any NFC capable device, and that would include the little chips that you find in credit cards and ATM cards these days. Is that true? Yes. Yeah, so the the examples they showed was iPhone to iPhone, but then also like a PayWave style card onto the iPhone. Right. They didn't show an Android device, but yep. I don't know if that means it doesn't work. It just, maybe they just didn't want to show it. <laughs> so if you've got a card, be it credit or, or, or a card associated with your bank account that has one of those wee chips in it, we call this technology PayWave in New Zealand, but I don't know whether that's a New Zealand's term only, but uh, then you should be able to take advantage of this tap to pay feature. And uh, that makes it quite attractive for small business owners. Mm. You can also pay later, Apple pay later. This this is the one reaction I do recall getting from Bonnie, who was sort of dipping in and out of the keynote this morning <laughs> when they talked about being able to split the payments on your new espresso machine. This interested <laughs> Bonnie considerably. Um, so this lets you pay uh, up to four payments over a six-week period. And in typical sort of seamless Apple style, you can see in your wallet what is due and when. And you can also track directly in wallet purchases made with Apple Pay, assuming that the vendor supports that. So that's all pretty nice. And it just goes to show how much emphasis Apple's placing on services these days. Yeah, this is the big future for Apple. They've kind of the hardware, the software, it's all quite incremental. But the services, that's where the revenue's coming from. Shall we talk about Apple Maps? Who's an Apple Maps user around this table? No, yeah, nobody. I, I, I do for, for work only. Why do you choose it over Google Maps? Because when I I I, I tested both of them for a while, but I, I found, and it, it's probably improved since. But I found that uh, Google would would just say turn left at the, at the next street, turn left, turn right. And for whatever reason, it didn't say at at the street name, whereas Apple Maps did. And so that's why at the time I stuck with that. Mm. Uh, everybody else on Google Maps? Yep. Yep. 
And why I, is that? I do. Okay, hit mine. I do use maps if like just through Siri, right? If I want directions to somewhere, because uh, it's just it's one less thing to open and do. Uh, so I typically would use it to just generate those route directions, and then I'd have an app like Blind Square to point out landmarks and things, kind of use it in conjunction. And when we talk about who's using Apple Maps. There are different Apple Maps experiences depending on where in the world you are. And it was interesting to hear that that is going to be extended. The new Apple Maps experience is coming to more countries, including New Zealand. Including New Zealand. Yes. So the new countries are Belgium, France, Israel. Oh, God. Liechtenstein. Yeah. Liechtenstein. Luxembourg. Monaco, Netherlands, New Zealand, Palestinian territories, Saudi Arabia, and Switzerland. Mm. What's different about the new experience? Did did they contrast the it's, old with the new? Um, it's not- more information. Uh, like they give you more in terms of transit, in terms of information about land, like topography uh, in a place, uh, cityscapes, like the images are more detailed. A lot of things like that. Because you'll have it in Ottawa, right? In Canada, yes. We have it. I think it's Canada-wide as far as I know. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And there's uh, there's quite a bit more now than there was initially in the maps. Yeah. Because they seem to be supporting specific cities with even richer experiences, and you have to be in specific cities to really benefit from it all. Yeah, I haven't Sydney. really sort of done anything major with that. I've, I've occasionally gotten a bit of information on transit and, and noticed that change a bit. But I haven't noticed all this other, like the land information, things like that more. Mm. You can now plan up to 15 stops in advance when you're on a route. You must be super organized to be able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you can use Siri to add additional stops to your route as well. And it's now easier to see public transportation fares. They call them transit in the United States and to add public transport cards to wallets. So that's good because here in New Zealand, in Wellington, we've got the snapper cards and that works already with iPhone, doesn't it? What do you mean? Can you not use the NFC capability on your iPhone effectively as your snapper card? I don't think so, but you can use your iPhone to top up your snapper card. Okay, so that's on some Android devices, you can, and I think that reflects the openness of the NFC chip on Android devices, that effectively your phone becomes your snapper card. Snapper is a smart card technology that we use here for uh, public transport. So perhaps that's what will Snapper and other providers like them will be able to do in the future then is actually use the NFC chip and add the card to the wallet, which will be very convenient. It would be. Yeah, when you're fishing around trying to find the right thing. Yeah. There. Yeah. Then they talked about the sports features coming to Apple News. This is where we get to say boo hiss about Apple News, right? <laughs> At least three of us do. It's so it, annoying. It's, it's, it's still what, not New Zealand? Five wow. years now or something? Yeah, no, there's no Apple News, Apple News. It just doesn't appear. It if doesn't appear cha- at all. If you change your language, say, to Australian English or US English or whatever, then it magically appears. It but the up. moment you switch it back to New Zealand English, there's no Apple News at all. It's, it's ridiculous. It, it, it is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Still only available in the United States, United Kingdom, Canada, and, and, Australia. and Australia. Now, that's probably most people listening, so let's just talk about that. Uh, you can favourite... 
your teams that you're following and then the that Red will Sox. sink. I just want to say that. I beg your pardon? Go the Red Sox. I'd be, I'd be favouriting them if we... Would you? Had, yeah. I would. I would. Okay, then. Yeah, uh, and you can sync them to Apple TV, uh, where, by the way, we don't have the Friday night baseball in New Zealand either. No, and <laughs> so don't get me started on that, please. <laughs> they have it in Australia, but they don't have it in New Zealand. So, they, um, so see, you, are you a big this. Apple News user, Mike? Do you find it a good experience? Yeah, in fact, I really value the Apple News Plus uh, I, I subscribe to that as part of my Apple One, and I make a lot of use out of it, reading magazines and things like that. So I can see like, I'm not a sports fan at all. I, I have yet to find, like, after nearly killing a camper, trying out archery as a kid, I, I've, I've never really found <laughs> sports I could really get into much. I mean, downhill skiing maybe for a bit. But, but it, you know, for people who are really into it, I can – absolutely see how the ability now to follow a team like you'd follow a channel of, of other uh, subjects and just have it mine your, like, like the sources that are available to Apple News and just mine that for stories on your favorite teams and things. I can really understand the appeal of that. Like people will be happy about this who use Apple News Plus anyway. I don't know whether it'll get them new subscribers, but it, it really might. Like that, that could... Uh, that could really be a, a wake-up for some people who just haven't tapped into Apple News Plus yet. I'm really pleased to hear that the Apple News Plus experience is accessible in terms of those magazines, because I did wonder that. Does it vary? Are there some magazines that aren't yeah. accessible, or are it, they all accessible? It, it, a lot of them just are really accessible, so it does seem to encourage that. But I, there are some that, that really haven't taken advantage of you know, the formatting tools, like, for example, with Natural Geographic, that was one of the first ones I looked at. I mean, you had full, very detailed captions of pictures explaining what was there. You had, you know, the articles fully readable, easily readable without too much fuss. It was a nice experience. So that, that it appears they, like in so many things, right, they give publishers these tools and they, they, they have quite a bit of latitude as to what they end up using for what they put on uh, Apple News. Because I don't think they have to put the entire uh, their entire arsenal of articles and things on. I know some newspapers don't do that as much. Uh, they, they withhold certain things, but they give you a, you know, a, a massive amount of information that you can just tap into as a subscriber without even thinking a payment or anything like that. You can just kind of go in there and read stuff. Mm. For all of the argy-bargy that we sometimes all get dragged into with social media and fake news and various things like that, we sometimes forget what a wondrous age we live in when all these magazines that years ago would have been off limits to us, at least for some time until they were produced in some sort of accessible format, they're just there now. I mean, it is wonderful yeah. how far we've come. Instantly there. It's, it's been Mate. I, I've really appreciated that. Mate, family sharing. This has been updated a little bit. So when you set up a new device, there's a quick start feature now, and you can make it clear right from the get-go that you are setting up a device for a family member. So that's pretty nice. And there's a family checklist. This helps you update your device as your child gets older and probably gets into the stroppy monosyllabic phase. <laughs> Uh, and they and they drop their monosyllabicness briefly enough to say, why are you being such a control freak with my device, Dad? 
Um, there's location sharing. You can you can you can deal with that. There's a whole lot of other options as well. And uh, one of the things that I thought was really groovy, and I, I thought this was groovy in the context of my worldwide travel that I'm about to take with Bonnie and Nicola, actually, and Nicola's part of our family sharing group, is this concept of the photo library for family members. This seems very well thought through. So you can share this family photo library and you can participate in just one shared library, which occurred to me, you know, that might be potentially a bit limiting if I'm understanding what they're saying, that you can only be in one family library because there are people these days with blended families, you know. See, mm-hmm. I, I understood that you could you could share like you you have your own separate folder library and you could you can choose what from that to share with the main library that's that's, that's right. how i but my understanding is it's only, you can only have one family library what i'm saying is you might be part of more than one family you know because if you've got a mother and a step parent or a dad a father and a step parent it it's conceivable you could be part of two families effectively and my understanding is there's only one family library that you can subscribe to at any one time Yes, yeah, so it just applies to your family sharing yeah. group. So yeah. Henry's a part of our family sharing group. So he could contribute to ours, but he couldn't be part of, say, his parents' family group because he's not part of theirs. Right, so that's another example, isn't it? As you uh, get older yeah. and, uh, you know, so so Henry's Henry's part of the in-laws' family group, but that locks him out of his own family. Of his own family, yeah. Family yeah. group. Yeah. So anyway, that might be something that they take care of uh, in future. And there are some algorithms that make suggestions about photos that belong in that group. You can move them there right from the camera, which I think is pretty cool. So where this is good is, for example, Nicola might want to take a lot of photos when we go on our trip to the UK and Sweden and France. And uh, Bonnie and I might want to share them on social media for those who care. Uh, that That will be great because it means that she can... She probably won't have iOS 16 by the time we do this, though, because it will still be in beta. And I, I'm not sure if I want to travel overseas with with buggy code on my phone. But <laughs> in the future, uh, we could do this. And so I, I think there are there are all sorts of potential blindness benefits here um, for people who might want to take some good photos for blind family members to easily access and share. And they did mention that, like, you can add cat. Like you can add captions to photos and those would all sync properly as well. So if someone took a picture, they could just put a quick description in the caption section and then the blind people would know what the picture was of. Brilliant. That is really brilliant. Yeah. So I can see that's a very practical, beneficial feature. One thing that I also thought was really good, and, and this this is just the sort of thing that makes you feel, ah, Apple can be nice sometimes, yeah. um, and and sensible and and good corporate citizens. Is this business with the safety check? I'd be interested to know where AirTags come into this because there has been a bit of concern expressed about AirTags. Although I have to say, I I feel like I should come to Apple's defence because I think they've been unduly picked on, probably because of their influence. I mean, tiles have been around a lot longer than AirTags, and I don't really think that Tile has done a particularly good job of putting anti-stalking measures in place before all the attention was given to Apple when Apple released the AirTags. Mm. But anyway, uh, this new safety check feature Apple has worked with organizations that represent victims of domestic violence. You can now reduce and reset the access that others have to your information, and you can find out 
what access they have. So this would include data and location. Also, if you're sharing passwords, anything like that, you can take care of it. You can disable iCloud on devices other than the one that you are using if you have multiple devices. So if you need to flee a uh, unsafe situation and you leave your iPad behind, but you're taking your iPhone, you can disable the access that somebody might have to that iPad and that data. And uh, you can see who you've given access to. So this sounds like a really sensible and, and worthwhile initiative. Should Absolutely. we talk about this? Go ahead. Absolutely. I, I like that they've, that they keep doing that, like thinking of the consequences and really addressing the, you know, cause that, that happens with, you know, unfortunately far too often people get caught up in these relationships and, you know, it's nice that they have an easy way now to go through and really have you know, the help of of Apple to check and and show what you know what their vulnerabilities are, what they what they might have shared and, and be exposing. That's that's a that could be massively helpful. Should we talk about the smart home? Now we love our smart home. I consider Mosin Towers to be quite a smart home, <laughs> but. Um, one of the things that we have grappled with in New Zealand anyway, and I think it's a slightly better predicament in North America, but in New Zealand, it is really difficult to find a lot of HomeKit compatible accessories. Mm-hmm. We've rocked it out of the park with the Philips Hue, so we can control Philips Hue on any smart device that we have. But for example, our Ring Video doorbell, which is easily obtainable in New Zealand, is not yet compatible with HomeKit. Our heating systems are not compatible with HomeKit, but they do work with the Soup Drinker and Google Home. And on and on it goes. So, Mike, you were talking about Matter before. This is something that I've been reading about for a while. It sounds like you have too. A new open standard that seeks to make the smart home more mainstream by meaning that consumers are not going to have to worry about which device do I have to buy to work with the thing that I have? It should be much easier than it is. Yeah, I think that'll be really great, you know, for, for anyone who needs these devices. Sarah and I really don't use any of them. We're in an apartment and it just doesn't make sense when you can just walk across and turn a knob to change the temperature. What? To, How 19th century to, are you? To, to, get, <laughs> to get one of these thermostats, you know. <laughs> I, I can sort of see it in a house more than I can in a rented thing like an apartment. But, but you know, for uh, for people who really need these devices or have larger properties where it's not as convenient, uh, as a lot of you know, people with disabilities, it can be massively helpful to have this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and if they if if they can really get companies to cooperate and have this standard really, uh, in you know, be the standard, and, and incorporates their security, like this is Apple has, has said, it, it gave, you know, the you know, the the system that they have to like made a lot of it available in this matter standard. That's huge. That could really be massively helpful for people. Yeah, and we're in a larger home, so there are some practical benefits. But even then, as a blind person without light perception, one of the things I really like about Siri's implementation or Apple's implementation, you can ask whether devices are on or off. And I really do appreciate that when it comes to lights, just to find out if there are any lights left on when someone's left our house that I may not know about. So there are some really good benefits. Heidi or Anthony, have either of you dabbled in the 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 smart home ecosystem at all at this point 
No, I haven't. I I have. Um, yep. We've switched all the lights that we could in our house to Philips Hue bulbs, and our heat pump connects to our soup drinker. Oh, have you got a Mitsubishi one? No, it's it's Gree. I'd Ooh. never heard of the brand. It I've, shows got, I've got up, that too. Yeah, well, it shows up as an airport ex- extreme or express or something on our Wi-Fi network, which really confused <laughs> us. We thought someone was trying to like attach themselves to our network, but yeah, we can we can just the setup is a bit funky, but once it's going, it works really well with the soup drinker, and so we don't have to use the remote anymore. I'm is that the same heat pump that. you have, Anthony? The same yeah, pump Oh, well, you might be able to get your soup drinker to control it. Maybe we need to have some cuzzy time and I'll yeah. come and help. Your home oh, might be smarter than you ever knew. That sounds like a very good idea, Heidi. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I've not heard of this brand either. So you can control the temperature. The temperature, what mode it's on, like heating or cooling or whatever, yeah. turn it on and off. Right. So you yeah. can set a routine, for example. We we have this routine that switches our heat on at 4.30 in the morning because we get up at 5 every morning. Uh, and so it, it turns – we've got three heat pumps because we've got so much space to heat. <laughs> and it turns them on and, and stuff like that. Now, with your heat pump, can you can you specify the temperature by way of a routine? I haven't tried to set it up with routines. We just sort ah. of t- we just tell it what to do. We haven't, yeah. Okay, fine. But <laughs> I, I, I guess because we can do that thing, we could also do it in a routine. Yeah. Oh, yes. You'd you'd absolutely be able to do it in routine, and it just really depends on what it exposes to to the soup drinker. So that would be quite interesting. But it's not HomeKit compatible, is that right? No. Yeah. See, that's the frustration, isn't it? Yeah. So little stuff here is. So this is where matter is going to be so significant that if there's, if we can get these devices to be backward compatible with matter, and I don't know if that's going to happen or not, suddenly a lot of devices will start working with the iPhone that didn't before, and there's a new home app in iOS 16 as well. Very exciting. Significant revamp of CarPlay. Um yeah, I mean, I, I mention this because there may be blind people listening who have sighted spouses or, or people in their lives, um, employees who drive them, where this CarPlay improvement would be beneficial. But what I want to know is, it's all very well to talk about CarPlay, Tim and team, but what about the car? Yes, please. Hey. Yes. <laughs> what about the car? Where I can say to my car, hey, S-I-R-I, Take me to work, and it will say, I found something on the web about take me to work. Take a look. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyone want to say anything about CarPlay? I want an Apple driving car for Christmas. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it it looks very pretty, and it's cool that it integrates with the car's systems, so you can get, like, the speed and stuff through it now as well. But I don't think it's particularly applicable to the blind community. I would... I also kind of have always had this thought that, you know, if they, they plaster all this visual stuff up there, I mean, how distracting is this stuff for, you know, from driving? <laughs> yeah, I guess it can be. Though with some of the stuff, they're essentially just talking about replacing the, like, manual dials and things, speedo meter things with uh, digital displays instead. So they're just replacing things that we already have. But then when it comes to, like, having a map and a music player and the weather, those things do seem a bit distracting. 
And yet it does allow a blind person to play even more of a co-pilot role. And I think this has increased over the last few years with GPS technology, various other things. Then it does allow a blind person to make a worthwhile contribution to the journey while the driver can concentrate on driving. Yeah, that, yeah. that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Spatial audio. Using the true depth camera to create a personalized spatial audio profile. OMG. Exciting uh, to anyone? I, I just haven't, I don't have AirPods that use uh, spatial audio. I guess when I get a, a set of AirPods third generation, they will. So if I understand what it's, it would look at the space or would it look at your head and what's it, what's it basing this profile on? Uh, any help with the visuals, Heidi, before I have a go? Uh, they had a cute little cartoon character of a person's head, and it was tracking <laughs> where their ears were and like how far away it was yeah. from the screen. That's how oh. I imagined it. Yeah. So it, it's it's the same technology that Face ID works with. So it will understand you know where your face is in relation to everything and and um, give you audio accordingly. Yes. Yeah, so if say your left ear is towards the screen because you're looking at something somewhere else, the sound will sound like it's coming from your left. What AirPods are you rocking, Anthony? Do you have the benefit of the spatial audio? Yeah, I've got the second generation, so yeah. 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 And do you like it? I do. I do. It, it, it's kind of it's, – it's quite buzzy, you know, when you're sort of turning your head around and, and everything just moving, um, adjusting. I, I, yeah, I, I do just, like it. Yeah, I just got a pair of third gen AirPods and I put them in and the feature was turned on automatically and I turned to Henry and I was like, is the sound coming out of my speakers? Because I couldn't tell that it was <laughs> my headphones because when I moved my head, the sound moved. Mm. So it's really immersive. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you find it quite impressive? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Quick Note was a feature that was introduced to iPad OS and now it is coming to iOS 16. So this is just a quick way of making a note. And I think for those who want to be able to use their iPhones as a note taker and just quickly have something where they can write something down, this could be quite useful. All right. What is next? Watch OS is next. See this? Now, now, Mike, you've got to admit there's a lot in iOS, right? I mean, there was a lot there. We, we've, we've been talking about iOS all this time. That, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess what, when we go through it, it's, it's more, <laughs> more obvious than when, when the people at Apple rattled through it at light speed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, I was amazed at the pace because they just had so much to get through. Now, um, there are four new watch faces coming to watch OS 9. There's astronomy, Luna, Luna. Named after Lovegood. Oh, no, I don't think so. L- Lunar Calendar Watch. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Playtime and Metropolitan. Mm. Any comments on the watch faces, Heidi? The Playtime one's really cute. Why? Because the numbers look like little characters. They've got feet and eyes. Oh, that's mm-hmm. nice. And when you've got the, like, always on display and you turn it away and everything dims, apparently they go to sleep. So <laughs> it's something that the grandchild would would be attracted to. Yeah. Cool. I'll bear that in mind. (laughs) (laughs) Watch OS 9 is also going to bring rich complications to more watch faces. So I think people will appreciate that. Just a more dynamic content to more watch faces. Uh, Also, one thing that I think is a really good move, and I think this is a bit of a uh, 
deja vu moment. I, I seem to recall it used to be this way. Now active apps are pinned to the top of the dock. I don't know if anybody else remembers this, but I'm pretty sure that's what used to happen. So if if I'm right about that, I'm glad that it's back. So you'll see at the top of the dock the apps that are currently running in case you need to close them or do anything like that. Hmm. Also, the podcasts app, which I have to say I have very little regard for um, as a serious podcast listener and a podcast creator. I don't think Apple's podcast offering is up to snuff. But anyway, they can build it in. And the podcasts app is now more standalone in the watch this year. So right from the watch, you'll be able to search for podcasts and subscribe or what Apple now calls follow uh, podcasts from the watch. So that's good. I do wonder whether the uh, Apple Watch will allow you to use made for iPhone hearing aids this year. And if not, whether more apps will be allowed to work with the watch's speaker, because as a hearing aid user, that has been quite a, a limiting factor for me in terms of my use of the watch. Increased data in the workout app. This um, got... Can I backtrack slightly? Of course. Um, they've also changed the Siri interface, so it's more like on the iPhone where it's just like the little Siri icon overlaying on the screen rather than it going to its own blank screen where the text appears. And the notifications now look like banners rather than full screen things as well. All right. Okay. Mm. So I wonder how that will work with voiceover. Mm. All right. Well, we'll have to have a play with that. Um, they're, they're, we got quite geeky with fitness when they were talking about uh, new data that has been collected in the workout app, particularly when you are running and you want to make sure that you are looking after your uh, health and not injuring yourself. So a lot of data there. I don't know whether, uh, Heidi, you want to say any more about that or whether anyone else has any comment on that? Nope. Nope. Okay. So um, they also have triathlon support. And it seeks to automatically detect when you go into the different components of a triathlon. So that's cool. And the fitness app is coming to iOS 16. I think this is wonderful because not everybody in our community can afford an Apple Watch. They've splurged out for an iPhone. It was a big uh, outlay for them in a financial sense. And they want to get fit too. And now there is the Apple Fitness Watch, uh, Apple Fitness app in iOS 16, it won't be able to collect as accurate data as it would if it were uh, in com combination with the Apple Watch, but you still have the app nonetheless. Yes, so it's just a move ring, so there's no activity or stand rings, and yeah, it, it estimates rather than being able to calculate off like heart rate. I guess that makes sense because it can't measure would, when you've stood up and you yeah. would just have the the information from the mo motion uh sensors in the phone yeah so yeah yes you might you might call it motion at large uh, oh dear <laughs> <laughs> uh what else watch os 9 provides data on sleep stage so there are three phases of sleep right and uh what are they rem the core, core sleep and deep sleep, I think. Ugh. And now you'll be able to go back and look at when you were in those stages of sleep and how long you were in those stages for. So I'm going to find this quite interesting. And I think mm. a lot of blind people will find it quite interesting because so many of us have difficulty getting our sleep under control. Any other uh, comments on the sleep app ID in terms of the visuals? Um, there's a really cool graph. 
I don't know if that's very helpful, though. Well. But it shows it in sort of like a timeline view. So it shows you that, say, you were in core sleep between 9 and 10, and then you're in deep sleep between 10 and 10.30, for example. And it shows you where you were each stage on a timeline along the night. Cool. And then it's also got just the overall time you spent in that as like that a is cool. list. So like that could be really useful. Yeah. And voiceover can can deal with things like that. Like you can get there are other graphs like battery health and things that you can actually get audio representations of and descriptions of. So that could really uh, help a lot of people. Yes, I've no doubt it will be well done uh, with an accessible implementation. You're a pretty new Apple Watch user, Anthony. How are you finding the device? Love it. Yeah. Love it. I've, um, yeah, about a year now, I think. I'm mm. pretty sure it was around about June. And yeah, I use it all the time for, um, well, it's, it's purely just a, a fitness thing. I don't, um, um, have any extra apps on the, the device. So it's just basically for, um, activities and, standing and all that kind of usual stuff especially i I find it useful uh when i'm at work in particular because i i have had a bad habit of just working away and just losing track of time but at least this gives me a reminder to at least make sure i get up and do something every hour it's it's the apple stand police (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and so uh, i might use it occasionally to uh, if, if i'm away from my phone in fact i think you've rung me a couple of times and I've, my phone's been on charge and so I'll just talk um, using the Apple Watch but that's about it I think. Yeah I use the Sleep Plus Plus app and somebody reminded me about this actually on this podcast and I got it again after some years of not having it and I really enjoyed it because it's automatic and it gives you some good data but um, I think this will make the Sleep app a lot more attractive and uh, you know, you, you've got to get into the rhythm, of course. What I typically do is when I'm showering or in the bath, something like that, I put the watch on charge. Normally, I've got my my rings closed by 5 p.m. because I get up at 5 a.m. And so I always just make sure that I have a full charge before I go to sleep. And that cadence seems to work for me okay. But I think there'll be some pressure on Apple for the next watch to see if they can prolong battery life. How long do you get? Um, how with your Apple Watch? Do you get a full day, or because oh, I can actually... I, I went through a major crisis with it a couple of years ago, where there was oh, something yeah. hogging the battery, and I finally worked out how to fix that. Um, and I can't even remember what I. I think it was to do with iCloud backup. Funnily, yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was a backup. But yeah, that's right. It was yeah. terrible. I, I, I couldn't <laughs> even get through a day. Now I could easily get through two days. Most yeah, of I'm exactly the same. I can get um, through two days and then I have to yeah, p- put it on charge. What about you, Heidi? You were going to say something? Oh, just that mine has really good battery life too. Yay. Very good. All right. Now also, AFib history. This is not talking about politicians who don't tell the truth. This is this is short for a fibrillation. And uh, you can track the amount of time that your heart has spent in a fib. That sounds like a great feature if you are, um, I was going to say, afflicted with that. I think that's a fair description. And uh, if you have that issue that you need to monitor. Um, now, 
The the thing that I think will really be very welcome by a lot of people is all this emphasis on medications in mm. uh, the Apple Watch coming up. And uh, th- there is a new dedicated medications app in watchOS 9. And this is going to allow you to track medications. They could be prescription medicine, but they could also just be vitamins and supplements. I'm Over the last few years, I have become a major <laughs> vitamins and supplements geek. And our little breakfast bar thing is covered in <laughs> vitamins and supplements and things. And it will be really great to be able to track my intake of that. And you can receive notifications for medications that you need to take regularly. You can track medications in the health app on your phone as well, even if you don't have an Apple Watch. So there'll be, my understanding is, Heidi, a new category added to health in the iOS health app? Yeah, that's what it looks like they've done. Right. You also, and this I think is very significant from an accessibility perspective, um, for an area which does make blind people quite vulnerable at times, you can use the iPhone camera to scan the label of a medication bottle or tab, whatever it might be, and uh, it will tell you what the medication is, hopefully. I don't know whether it's doing that based on barcode or Uh, what the technology is, so it may vary from country to country. It looks an awful lot like it's just using the sort of live text. text Oh, well, then that's even better because that means it's not so dependent on country to country, you know, because if it's barcode specific, then the barcode here, say, might be different from the barcode in the United States. But if it's just extracting data with live text, that's that's even better in my opinion. And it's also easier than trying to find the barcode a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You will receive an alert when you add a new medication if there's a chance that there's going to be a critical interaction. In other words, you take this medication with this other medication that you're taking and it could make you ill or it could uh, be something you need to watch. And you can also send a family member an invitation to share their health data with you, their medication data. Now, where I think this is interesting is a lot of people get to a stage in life where suddenly they become, at least to some degree, a caregiver for elderly parents. And I think the combination of fall detection on the Apple Watch and the fact that it can send an alert if somebody has a fall and this medication tracking it's a, a really lovely package to just give you peace of mind if you are in that situation. Does anyone have any comments on all that medication stuff? I think that's great. I've often seen requests on AppleVis and elsewhere for apps that help you track and get reminders rather than using just – you could just use the reminder app to generate that or the calendar app even. But I, I think having a specialized place that really keeps track, it is set up for medication maybe keeps track of amounts and things, that could be really, really useful. Mm. Also, it seems like they've considered people might not want to other people to see what specific medication it is. So on the example from the Apple Watch screenshot, it ju- for logging a medication, it just says log your 10.30 a.m. medications. And I assume once you tap on it, it will tell you which ones it is. But that way, if someone else is looking at your watch, they don't know what medication you're taking. Right. All right. That's excellent. That's well thought through. Yep. Good UI. There is also a new way to connect watchOS apps to Apple TV. So we'll watch this space with considerable interest and find out how that will work. Yeah. Was there anything visually displayed about that, Heidi? Mm, no. Okay. 
Any other comments on watchOS 9 before we move on? A pretty meaty release this year. Hey, see, more than just visuals, Mike. More than just visuals. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> um, one thing that was in the like visual summary at the end that I don't think they actually talked about is kickboard detection for when you're swimming. So I don't know if there's people here who, when they swim, use the little like flutterboard kickboard thing, but that will help track those workouts more accurately too. Well, that's nice. I haven't oh. used one of those since I was a kid. I was just going to say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, cool. All right, so let's uh, look at the Mac. Now, the Mac is an interesting thing. Um, the hardware, since Apple went ARM and they uh, released M1, has been absolutely stunning. And now they've come out with M2. This is kind of an iterative thing. So it's it's even faster. It's cleverer. Um, it's better with energy consumption. What else can we say about it? It's more. Uh, um, it's the, the first the first MacBook to get the M2 is the MacBook Air. They say Apple do. It's the world's biggest selling laptop. What is the new MacBook Air like, Heidi? Because you obviously know how blind people think. Would I be able, as a blind person, to pick up a MacBook Air that that we have, for example, here at Mosin Tales right now? We've got a MacBook Air running M1. Would I be able to pick this up and then pick up a new MacBook Air and immediately say, oh, this is the MacBook Air running the M2? Absolutely. They've got rid of the tapered design. Okay. So it's as even thickness all the way along now. Um, it's more MacBook Pro-esque than MacBook Air-esque. Right. Um, Very thin. Th- thinner than the current MacBook Air, I think. I'm not sure. I can't remember how I thick. I think they said it was, uh, yeah, they said uh, 20% reduction over the previous Air. I, I took a note here. Okay. Yeah. So you definitely feel the difference. And new colors. Right. New colors, that's exciting. What, what are the new colors? Well, you've got... Your silver and your space gray, which I think you already have. Mm. And then you've got your starlight. And then they've got midnight, which is like a very, very, very deep blue. Right. Okay. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. It's just so exciting. Mm. Um, one thing that I audibly went no about, <laughs> I must be such a minority on this, but I don't care. <laughs> they brought the MagSafe thing back. One uh. other thing, I hated the MagSafe connector when I was a Mac user before because it was so easy for that little thing to fall out of its charger. Uh, you know, it didn't take – I know that the logic was that it was designed to make sure that the Mac didn't take a tumble if somebody tripped the cord or something, and I, I get that. But, oh, man, it was so easy to dislodge that MagSafe connection. But anyway, I mean, you don't have to use it, do you, because you can still charge it from one of the Thunderbolt ports. Is that right? Well, I mean, they, they didn't say you could still use the Thunderbolt port, but they didn't say you couldn't. Okay. Oh, I have to see. Anyway, um, th- th- that's that's backed by popular demand. So, you know, I I – I, what's the word? Gracefully, I gracefully concede <laughs> on that one. Uh, there's a liquid retina display. It's thirteen point six inches, so you've got a bit more real estate. Yeah, it's got a notch. It's got a notch. <laughs> it's not a bug. It's a feature. Uh, a three mic array, and even better speakers. I got to say, uh, some of the, the the Dell XPS fifteen that I owned for a while. Came close, but nothing that I have ever heard comes close to the way Apple does audio on a laptop. Mm. Nothing. Mm. Absolutely stunning what they do with the audio on their laptops. 
Um, and a better camera so you look better in all those video calls. Tremendous. Yep. And uh, the audio supports spatial audio. You've got Touch ID on the Mac. And, of course, the trackpad. For those who have not used a Mac as a blind person, the trackpad is fully accessible. So when you're running voiceover and you enable the trackpad, you can flick left and right. You can use the rotor gesture. You can double tap. It's kind of like using an iPhone. Not completely because it works a little bit differently, but it's very similar. And it can be a very good way to introduce yourself to the Mac. Um, on the M1 MacBook Air, does it still have those funky short function keys? Funky short function keys? Like half height above the number row? The function keys were half height when I had one. If if it does, it did, never bothered me enough to notice it. Okay, well, they specifically told us about how they're now full height function keys. Okay, well, that's good. If that annoyed anyone. Yes, and no more touch bar. Hooray! Yeah. There was never a touch bar on a MacBook. Either. No, I know. But the, even on the Pro, there's no touch bar. They've actually brought it back. Yeah. What? They brought the touch bar back to the 13-inch MacBook Pro. Have they really? Yep. They didn't say anything about it, but it's in the pictures. Oh, that's extraordinary. That's extraordinary. Oh, well, that is unfortunate. (laughs) Um, Both devices are silent and fanless. You get up to 18 hours of battery life on the Air, 20 hours on the Pro. You've got a fast charge option. And there's also a USB power charger thing with two USB-C ports, so you can do quite a lot of charging. Um, You know, for me, these these devices are so mouthwatering in terms of their specs how fast they go how long they run but you know voiceover still lets it down i'm afraid it does yeah on the on on mac os voiceover really does let it down and um i wish we could just have a big overhaul nevertheless there is a version of jaws coming out very shortly in beta for arm processors and with some agreements expiring soon I'm hoping that you might be able to boot camp these Macs to the ARM version of Windows. And if I can get the JAWS version of, uh, 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 the, the ARM version of JAWS on a MacBook Air, I could be really tempted to do that and run Windows on it. Ooh. Yeah, mm. nice hardware. Nice hardware. Very nice hardware. It is. Uh, any other comments about the, the hardware before we talk about a few features in Mac OS? Safari busy. You okay. mean before we take a ride on Ventura Highway? Yeah. Ventura. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I, I always like that little bits about what they're going to name the uh, Mac OS this year. So it's called Ventura, Mac OS Ventura. Um, this really does come to where Mike's talking about visual things. One of the big features that they touted about Mac OS Ventura, which will be coming later this year, like all these software updates, you can't get them now. Let me just say that before I forget. Uh, there will be a public beta soon. Some developer betas are out now, and then you probably won't get the real things until probably late September. Yeah, they said public betas in July. Yes, yeah. I, I believe that developer beta 3 is going to be public beta 1, at least for iOS. Stage manager. Is this a purely aesthetic thing? I, I, I was finding it hard to conceptualize how stage manager will make a difference for voiceover users. I think it's very much an aesthetic thing. I don't – I mean, some blind people might use it, voiceover users might use it, but I don't see why they'd want to. Mm. Um, the only feature that I guess was cool is it's 
it's sort of like a hybrid between just having like multiple desktops and then having everything on one desktop. I wondered about that. It sounded a bit like how in Windows you can create many desktops and just put the apps you want on on the desktop and alt-tab between them. So it, it creates this clutter. Yeah, but I thought Macs already had multiple desktops. Yeah, it's been a while since I've tried, so you may be right. <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, we'll, we'll find out more, I'm sure, in all the reviews about how Stage Manager differs from multiple desktops. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else have we got in in uh, Mac OS? I'm just scrolling through my notes. Uh, there's the obligatory changes to Spotlight Search, of course, and it was also interesting to hear. So even when they stopped talking about iOS officially, they kept talking about iOS. Yeah, they did. So, so one of the things they mentioned in the context of Spotlight Search for Mac was that they were going to add Spotlight Search to the bottom to the of bottom the iOS of the screen. Device. They really want people to use Spotlight Search, and I guess their data says that people just don't. And I, I sympathize because Spotlight Search is very powerful, but how often do people here actually make use of it? I use it all the time. Oh, there you go. How do you oh, – wow. why do you use it? Well, I guess I use it in the same way that some people would use Siri to, like, open apps and look things up, but I don't like talking to Siri. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, like, the swipe down and then I just type in whatever I want to – like, whatever app I want to open or whatever I want to look up or something like that. I yeah, I just use it all the time. I guess yeah. as a Siri replacement. Yeah. yeah. Anyone else using Spotlight? Yes. Yeah. How yeah. do you use it? Um, exactly the same as Heidi. Although I, I do use Siri from time to time, but I I just get so frustrated with Siri's responses. So I'm um, so I just find it a lot quicker. Just swipe down and um, search for apps or uh, weather. Just yeah, anything. It's it's it is quite powerful. So I'm I'm pleased to actually see it. Um, now, been sort of yeah, right on the on the home screen now. Now, Mike, you've got into every nook, cranny, and crevice of the iPhone. Are you a Spotlight Search fan? Well, I don't tend to use it much. I typically just ask Siri things, or I use Google. Like if I want a more in depth answer, that's probably going to be useful. I tend to go to it's the Google Assistant because it just seems to do that. That's its real core strength is giving those concise but still robust answers. Mm. Mm. I, li I like Spotlight Search, but I don't know whether I use it a huge amount, but I do sometimes use it, particularly when I'm trying to find – I know that I've had a communication with someone, and I can't remember, did this particular thing I talked to them about happen in an iMessage or an email? And when I use Spotlight Search, I can find it, and I, I like that. Speaking of search, there's improved search in mail on all the mail apps. It looks like Mac, iOS, and iPad. Uh, so there's more context uh, available, uh, context awareness with this. Uh, did you see anything of interest with the search, Heidi, for mail? Um, I mean, they did mention that if you spell something wrong, it'll try and guess what you actually meant to type and search for that instead. Yeah. Holy duck. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't know. It didn't seem that great. Right. Safari now lets oh. you but – yes. But also in mail, you can now schedule sending messages and stuff like that. Now, is that coming to iOS as well? They seem to – I think they mentioned that it was. Mm. So that's pretty cool, now, having a built-in scheduler feature. I like that. Yeah, and you can – 
um, also be reminded in a specific time frame about a message. Right. That's good too. Brilliant. Oh, we'll have some fun to play with. Safari now lets you share tabs with other users. So this could be good if you are collaborating with people. There's quite a collaboration theme in some of these uh, new features that are in the Apple products this year. Um, And they described the scenario of planning a trip, funnily enough. So that resonated with me. Now, the thing that I thought was interesting, because this was almost a passing comment. I mean, there are so many big things that passed in the blink of an eye on this keynote. Apple wants to replace the password. I think Mm -hmm. this is a very, this is perhaps the most significant development that they announced today, in my opinion. They want to replace the password with the concept of pass keys. You use Touch ID or Face ID to authenticate. The pass key only works with the sites that you've created it for. So none of this malarkey of having a password that everybody uses everywhere, and it never leaves your device. So it essentially renders phishing obsolete because if somebody takes you to a site that isn't really the site, the passkey is not going to work. It works with all Apple products, and Microsoft has reached out to other manufacturers. I presume Google as well as Microsoft. Uh, Apple's reached out to other manufacturers, including Microsoft and uh, Google, and they want this to work across devices. So in theory, what happens is you could sign in on your Windows device by having your iPhone with you, which kind of acts as a, a dongle, a passkey dongle thing. They uh, had a QR code that you scanned with your iPhone. Oh, it's no. Like QR code <laughs> on the Windows laptop. You scan it with your iPhone. Some magic happens. Okay, so I don't have a lot of trouble with this. Uh, I quite regularly scan QR codes, but I had a conversation with a group of people recently regarding WhatsApp and how the only way to authenticate with WhatsApp on your computer is to do this. And a lot of blind people do not like this at all. So that's going to be unfortunate. How do you guys feel about QR codes? I haven't made a ton of use of them, really, but uh, you know, I, I like in theory, I like it as long as I can tell where they are or the camera can scan widely enough so you don't have to be as precise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm the same. I, I certainly haven't had a problem with, with the QR codes that I've, that, that I've used it with so far. Right. Well, that's going to be something that I think might need a little bit of thought in terms of accessibility for those who um, are not so familiar with the camera and may have some difficulty getting the angle right to to take a pic of that QR code on the screen. Or, yeah, of course, they go ahead. You'd also have to consider, like, people who use screen curtains and I know a lot of screen reader users don't use windows full screened and if they're too small that could obstruct the QR code as well and you wouldn't even know and there are some people who don't have a monitor at all because they don't need a monitor yeah so there's no monitor (laughs) Um, to scan the QR code on yeah I'm I'm looking at myself when I when I say yes yeah and I'm sure you look very nice I do (laughs) as always (laughs) There are improvements to continuity as well. Easier handoff between the iPhone and the Mac. Uh, anything to share on this, Heidi? That they, I think they demonstrated a phone call that would be easily handed off between devices. Uh, yes. Yeah, so when so they used the example of you're on a FaceTime call on your phone. You get to your Mac. You open it up. A little pop-up notification appears saying that you're on a FaceTime call and there's a switch button. You click switch and it transfers the call automatically to your Mac. 
So is that the big difference? Because in the past, you would go to the dock, wouldn't you, or something like that, and you would you would see the call in the dock. So this is more aggressive. It's kind of putting the notification in there. Yeah. Could could you transfer a FaceTime call before? Pretty sure you could. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think Cotton, you would see it out to do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can now use your iPhone as your webcam on the Mac. <laughs> it looks cool. real dinky. Dinky? Why? Well, it's like they've got these little mounts and you like clip it onto the top of your Mac and it's got your iPhone hanging on it and like they showed ones using MagSafe and its cameras are pointing over the top of the screen looking at you and it's just like <laughs> it makes me think of like really old bulky webcams that like people used to have and i don't know it just it doesn't seem very clean i see so th- there were this accessory range that they were talking about which is due out later this year it would essentially cause the iphone to be above your max screen yes that- yeah right okay yeah that that's kind of weird i guess but there's no reason presumably given that it is wireless, why it wouldn't work, say, with the older Apple dock, if you as a blind person just wanted to sit at your desk in front of your iPhone camera with the Apple dock, wouldn't that work? Well, it's using the back cameras. Oh, oh, yeah. okay. Oh, so that, I see. That's what I thought. So you, you get much more out of that back camera than you would out of In the front. Presumably right. the front okay. cameras. All right. so, so the way this accessory works, the phone is sitting on the top of the screen, sort of bolted to it in some way, clipped to it, clamped to it, I imagine. Yeah. And the, the, the back of the phone is facing you. Yes, and so the screen's can, facing away. Right, okay. Right, yeah, all right. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Oh, and well, we'll see makes- if that takes off. One that kind of, of things- makes that whole center stage go better because, like, you'd you'd have a lot more in, out of that back camera. It could adjust for your movement a lot better, keeping you in the center of the frame. Yeah, that that is true. Yeah, and I can't help wondering whether this is also a partial reaction to the the debacle that Apple got itself into with that really expensive monitor that they've released, and it's got a dodgy camera. And people are pretty upset about that, and Apple tried to fix it on firmware, but haven't entirely succeeded. So, yeah. uh, well, you know, is it kind of like another version of dongles? One thing that I thought was pretty interesting from a blindness perspective, I'm sitting here in my studio slash home office at the moment, and sometimes in the afternoon I get the lovely afternoon sun. Mm-hmm. But I get the... I get the sun streaming through the window and I'm conscious of this. Sometimes I have to remember to pull the, to, to draw the curtains because there's too much light. So they've got this thing called um, studio light and it brightens your face and it darkens the background. And it just occurred to me that that could be very beneficial to blind people who care about how they look on these things, but may not necessarily know the effects that lighting conditions are having. Yeah. So it's, it's using the, technology from like portrait mode photos and there's already a filter you can apply which is studio lighting so it's just applying that to a video call using the iphone camera etc etc so that is mac os ventura should we talk about um ipad os when ipads began running an os that had its own name so ipads used to run ios and then some time ago they renamed it ipad Pad OS. And there's been an expectation for a while that gradually the iPad would develop its own look and feel and that it would take advantage of the power in the screen real estate. The iPad really is an interesting device. I, I still feel like it's 
full potential hasn't been realized because it's a truly modular computer. You could just take the device with you when you want to consume content, and then you can add a keyboard when you want to. You can even add a mouse when you want to to get work done. Heidi, you are getting the latest and greatest iPad as we speak, we await its arrival. I am awaiting its arrival. I ordered one of the new iPad Airs almost a month ago now, and I'm still waiting on its arrival. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what made you choose the Air over, the, say, the, the Pro? At the time, it was budget. Yeah. And I think because the new iPad Air has the M1 chip and a lot of the same features as the iPad Pro, the big jump in price didn't seem justifiable to me at the time. So all I feel like I'm missing out on is Face ID. I now have to have a Touch ID device, which I don't think is going to be that big an issue, but I'll see. And I don't get the 120 hertz screen, but my iPhone is a 60 hertz iPhone anyway, so it's not like I'm used to a 120 hertz screen. Right, right. And as somebody who is a prospective new iPad Air owner, uh, will you pleased by what they announced today yeah i was i think there's a decent amount of stuff in there that during my research for buying my ipad i looked into a lot of what people were saying and a lot of it was about the os and it seems like they've addressed a lot of the things people who were trying to use it as a more pro device were concerned about Mm. so Mm. it seems pretty promising it's sort of funny that they started off with the fact that weather is finally coming to the iPad. I mean, what has taken this so long? But okay. <laughs> yeah, but still no ca- no calculator. Yeah. <laughs> right. No. I was waiting to hear about the calculator that's never appeared. Yeah. <laughs> it is interesting. Anyway, and there's also now a weather API, so there'll be a there'll be an abundance of weather apps. A, a really big facet of all that's been announced today related to collaboration. And when they started this demo, I thought Microsoft Word's been doing this soup for years. You know, you can all get into a document. And I love how accessible this is, certainly to me in Windows as a JAWS user. And I find that I use it as a kind of a de facto whiteboard when we all need to brainstorm and I need to write things down with my team. We all just open a Word document on our respective devices and we can write things down and make amendments and and it all just works. But as the demo unfolded, I kind of felt, okay, there's a little bit more to it than that because you start a group message and then when you've started the group message, it's like a whole bunch of things are possible beyond just going into pages and working on a document, right? Is that what you got from the demo, Heidi? Yes. So it's not just the document you're sharing. You could also be sharing a tab group as well. And looking up different stuff and you're being alerted to changes in the message chain as well if you want to be and things like that. So it's a little bit more than just editing a document, Mm. but not significantly more. Yeah. What also struck me is that, again, they came back and they said, and this is coming to iOS and macOS. So you'll be able to do all this collaboration on your iPhone as well if you want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that will be good for a lot of us who, you know, I know that there are many, many blind people who do have iPads. I got rid of mine when I had all sorts of difficulty with handoff working properly with my hearing aid. It didn't work with my hearing aids. And so it was just rusting in a corner. 
well, I don't think iPads rust, but it was sitting there doing nothing. <laughs> so I got rid of my iPad. So for those people who do want to collaborate with people who are in the Apple ecosystem, I think it's brilliant that it's working with the iPhone as well. They also, in terms of collaboration, have an app that's coming to all the Apple things called Freeform. And this made me think of Microsoft OneNote. Do you think, Heidi, that that's a kind of a fair comparison? I haven't really used OneNote, so I don't know if it's a good comparison, but I can describe sort of what it's like, and you can tell me if it's a good comparison. Okay, then. It's. it's I, th- I think it is a good comparison because I made it up myself. <laughs> well, that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, it feels like a big whiteboard yeah. where everyone can be, like, writing in a different area, but it's all one overarching big document. It seems like you can zoom in or out infinitely. That there's probably some parameters. So in the example, they've got someone is linking pictures in one part. So there's just like, a, it's like pinned on a pin board sort of thing. There's a bunch of images scattered around and someone else is writing with an Apple pencil about um, part of the topic and someone else is pasting in sticky notes and someone else is typing in an area. But it's all very organic and chaotic. It's not very structured. So it is a bit like OneNote in some ways, I suppose, but with with a huge emphasis on collaboration. And again, I guess my comment is, this is great if everybody's committed to the Apple ecosystem. It comes back to the scenario I was talking about just before, where I collaborate with my work colleagues. But what if they're using um, Android devices? Or what if I want to use my Windows PC? You know, I'd, I'd like to be able to do that. So I'm not sure whether... That would suit our use case, but if you were uh, embedded in the Apple ecosystem, it, it it would, and you can use sounds and video and all kinds of other documents as well. Yep. I wonder how accessible they're going to implement this. I, I think of an app called MindNode that is basically lets you make a mind map, and you can sort of at- put in documents and other things uh, into a mind map and actually have it all kind of connected. And I guess I wonder, like, I can see how that is made accessible, but if there's no points, if there's no kind of cells or points of navigation, I, I wonder how they're going to make this more contiguous whiteboard kind of thing accessible. Yeah. I guess I've got over my fear that Apple is ever going to release an app of its own that is not accessible. That might be naive on my part, but uh, I, I kind of think... It's uh, it's 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 unlikely that we will see an inaccessible app. So I wait and see and see how that goes. But I think for me, it's more how are people on non-Apple devices going to collaborate with this? Because I think that does limit its utility. This is one of the good things, obviously, about the Microsoft Office suite is that it's everywhere. And for that matter, the Google suite, because it's web-based, you know, so anybody can use it. But we'll see how that goes. Maybe they've got an answer to that customizable elements that make it look more desktop-like, Heidi. So you, it looks like they've got a kind of like, like a menu bar in some instances. Is that right? So that – what was it called with the on the Mac with the weird window arrangement thing? Uh, mission control, was it? Or? No, no, no. The new thing they just talked oh, about. Oh, st- stage manager. Stage. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. essentially yeah. applying that to the iPad. Yeah. So you can – at le- instead of just being fixed to the two apps and the slide over app, you can now pull them 
out into being cute little windows and have them grouped together and choose which ones you want to be displayed and things like that. So it lets you sort of adjust what you're viewing a lot more easily. Right. And there are changes to the Files app. There are also, uh, you've got the ability to decrease the pixel density of the display so that you can view more data. And it occurs to me that that might be quite beneficial for blind people because you can just squeeze. It doesn't really matter what it looks like. If you can get more data on the screen, that could be an advantage there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Virtual memory swap. So that's a very computer-like feature that they've added there. So if you've got an iPad with a lot of RAM and an app needs to uh, make use of that, then uh, you can, or, or rather, no, it's the other way around. If you've got an iPad with perhaps not much RAM and you've got quite a bit of disk space, then you can use virtual memory there. So that is essentially what I have in terms of all that's there. That is quite a substantive update there to all Apple's offerings, isn't it? Yes. You're a, bit more, you're a bit less of a skeptic now, Mike, that we've actually talked through A little it. bit, yes. It, yeah. Now that we think through the implications, uh, which is hard to do when you're trying to type notes and listen to a keynote, it does, <laughs> does expand <laughs> one's thinking on this stuff. And this is just, don't forget, the tip of the iceberg, because after this, there's the state of the platform. There's a whole week of revelations ahead as we learn more about what is what else is in these updates that they didn't have yeah. time for in the keynote. And we already know about some of the pretty significant accessibility changes that are coming to Apple's platforms because they announced that in conjunction with WWDC. We don't know yet what features are being kept for new hardware that will be announced in a few months' time. Can I just ask before we go, um, Anthony, what are you looking forward to in terms of the new accessibility features coming to Apple's platforms? Uh, I'm interested in checking out the door detection thing yeah. that um, certainly uh, could be could be quite useful. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be interesting, especially reading the signs and stuff like that. Mike, mm -hmm. you made some comments on Mosin at large uh, about this, but uh, how are you feeling about the new accessibility features? I like the thought. I, I can't do the door detection really because I don't have LIDAR, right. uh, but I am looking forward to seeing the, what they do to voiceover and the new voices, how that works, whether we get more English ones, because I, I don't understand any other languages. <laughs> um, but uh, looking forward to, to that. Mm. Uh, so, and I, I expect we'll see, you know, a few new implications that aren't immediately obvious uh, that, that come through as, as the, the actual operating systems arrive and people start digging into them. Yes. Uh, there'll be little UI things, little user interface things that I think people always find in voiceover. There's just something tucked away that Apple didn't think is a big enough feature to make a big deal of, but it may be a big deal to some of us. And you often find things tucked away like that. What I really hope we get this year is an API to allow you to install the text-to-speech engine of your choice across the operating system. I want that so bad. <laughs> that's been on your wish list for yeah, a very long it's been time, on my dude. Wish list, yeah, <laughs> uh, and it would make such a difference. And we had somebody on the last episode of this podcast, episode one eighty two, uh, one eighty one rather, who made that point really well about a Bulgarian text to speech engine. He's worried that Apple is going to go with the Nuance option because of their partnership with Nuance. If only we were allowed like you can on Android and have done for years to install whatever voice you want operating system wide 
it would um, it would make the difference. And imagine if all of those voice dream reader voices could be repackaged so that you oh, could yeah. use those voice dream reader voices yeah. across the whole operating system. Yeah, epic. Well, Heidi and Mike and Anthony, thank you so much for your insights. And of course, we look forward to everybody else's comments. If you have any views on what Apple has announced, what excites you, are you disappointed about something you wanted to see that didn't come up? You can contact the podcast. Jonathan at mushroomfm.com is my email. You can attach an audio clip or you can just write the email down. And the listener line number is 86460-MOSIN. We'll play a big selection of your comments in episode 183, 86460-6736. Thank you all very much. I really appreciate your time. An absolute pleasure. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, fun as it's always fun. I love to hear from you. So if you have any comments you want to contribute to the show, drop me an email written down or with an audio attachment to Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at mushroomfm.com. If you'd rather call in, use the listener line number in the United States, 864-606-6736. Mosin FM.